1657 of your Pew Bibles. And we'll be reading this evening the Bread of Life Discourse that's found in John 6, 25, not 22 like your bulletins say, that was my fault, through 59. But this evening we will be focusing primarily on verses 35 through 40. But we'll begin with a word of prayer, so please join me in prayer. Blessed are you, O God, Father of glory. You are the source of all wisdom and all knowledge. And as we come to your word this evening, Lord, we pray that your spirit would cause us to grow in the faith and the knowledge of Christ Jesus, our Savior. We pray that you would enlighten our hearts, that we might know the hope to which we have been called. Reveal yourself to us, Lord, for we can only know you if you give yourself to be known. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. John 6, starting at verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. At this the Jews began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph? whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, 
Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. This is God's holy and inspired and infallible word. May he bless it to us. Congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it can be said that the best way to get to know someone is by listening to them when they talk about themselves. Right? Think about friendships. They can grow more deeply when individuals talk about themselves, when one person gets to know the other in a more profound way. Or think about marriages. They can enjoy the same thing as a husband and wife continue to pursue their partner, to know each other in a more intimate way. This phenomenon also takes place when getting to know someone for the first time. Right? Upon initially meeting someone, if you want to get to know them, what do you do? Do you sit down at a table, stare directly into their eyes for two or three minutes, and then walk away knowing exactly everything about them? No. What do you do? You, you talk with them. right? They tell you about their self. You tell them about yourself. The best way to get to know someone is to listen to them when they talk about themselves. For instance, when Rachel and I first began attending here last year, many of you came up and introduced yourselves to us. You told us about yourselves, who you are, what you do, where you live, who you're related to. And though unfortunately, though I slip up on names sometimes, and some of those family connections have gotten a little fuzzy, last year we began the process of getting to know each other. And over the next two years that we're here, as we have more and more contact with each other, more and more conversations, we will hopefully get to know you better and better. But while our relationship with you all is important, and we do indeed look forward to getting to know you all better, there's something more that we should desire during our time together. And that's that we get to know Jesus better. Because he is the reason that we are gathered here this evening. He's the reason that we gather here week after week after week. He is the one that we desire, more than anyone else, to get to know. And so this evening, we're going to look at one of the seven places in the Gospel of John where Jesus tells us about himself. Make no mistake, the entire Bible is about Jesus. We could go anywhere in Scripture and learn about our Savior, but there are seven places in John's Gospel specifically where Jesus tells us about himself. And these are known as the seven I Ams of John. And each of these I Ams helps us answer the question, who is Jesus? And tonight, we're going to look at the first one that was laid out in our passage in John 6 where Jesus proclaims that he is the bread of life. And in this statement, Jesus is declaring to both his original audience and to us here this evening, his sufficiency, his source, and the surety that can be had by all who come to him. And that will be our focus this evening, that by declaring himself to be the bread of life, Jesus is proclaiming his sufficiency, his source, and his surety. Now first, the bread of life is sufficient. 
Verse 35, Jesus, or Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never be thirsty. Now here we see Jesus, in order to give that crowd around him an idea of who he was, in order to help, him, help them answer that question we just asked, who is Jesus? In order to do that, he used a metaphor that would have spoken directly to his audience. He told them that he is the bread of life. Now the minds of these people to whom he's speaking, it was already focused on bread. Because these people to whom he's speaking had been among the 5,000 that Jesus had miraculously fed yesterday. You can see that in the first part of John chapter 6. And now they've searched him out, and they're looking for more bread. Right? Jesus says as much in verse 26. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. These people have been looking for Jesus because they were already thinking about bread. Bread is on the forefront of their minds, and so Jesus takes that image, and he applies a spiritual meaning to it. That he is what they should be searching for. You want bread? Right? You're searching for more bread? Well, I'm not just the guy who's handing out free bread. I am the bread of life myself. I am the bread that will continually satisfy. Whoever comes to me shall never be hungry. Now, these people ate the fish and the loaves yesterday, and they're hungry again today. We all know how that works, right? You eat breakfast before going to work, and by 10 o'clock, you're pretty sure the people down the hall can hear your stomach rumbling. Or kids at school, you eat lunch at the cafeteria, and you're probably hungry before you leave the cafeteria. At least that was my experience at school. Or it applies to good meals too, right? In another month, our Thanksgiving feast, we're going to eat much more than we could possibly ever need. We may think in that moment that we may may never need to eat again. And yet on Friday, we're there at the microwave heating up those turkey leftovers. It doesn't matter the quality of the meal, good or bad. Sooner or later, we're going to get hungry again. That's just how it works. Physical food doesn't satisfy. It doesn't ultimately satisfy our hunger. We need to keep going back and back. The crowd knew that. And that's why they pointed to their experience of their forefathers in verse 31, to to the manna, right? That food that God miraculously provided Israel when they were in the the desert for 40 years. But even that manna, that bread from heaven, couldn't ultimately satisfy. It still had to come regularly, six days a week. The people would eat it, their hunger would be satisfied for a day, and then the next day they would have to go gather more. Physical food, even that which is directly provided by God, does not ultimately satisfy hunger. But even though it does not ultimately satisfy hunger, insufficient physical food points to that which is sufficient. Therefore, Jesus holds himself out as spiritual food that will ultimately satisfy our spiritual hunger. By proclaiming that he is the bread of life, Jesus is declaring that he is entirely sufficient for all who will come. He's not just any bread. He isn't enough for one day only. No, the the bread of life is entirely sufficient to satisfy our spiritual hunger. Whoever comes to Christ shall not hunger, and whoever believes in him shall never be thirsty. Spiritual hunger can be completely taken care of by coming to Christ. But 
<clears throat> to do so requires that one actually come and believe. Right? You can't gain the benefits of a loaf of bread simply by seeing it lying there on the counter. You have to eat it. Likewise, it's not enough to simply see Christ. <clears throat> the crowd was doing that, and Jesus rebuked them for it. Verse 36, But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. This crowd was in the physical presence of Jesus, but they didn't believe in him. They were excited about the physical bread that he could provide, but that was it. Right? They were so enthralled with the bread of this world that they ignored the true bread of life that was right in front of them. And so Jesus lifts their eyes above their physical desires and he encourages them to focus on him, to come to him. But we know better than the crowd, don't we? Right? I mean, we come to church every Sunday. We, we gather together in the presence of Jesus. I mean, that's what we're doing right now. But let's examine our motives for why we are here. It may, be here, it may be that you're here because it's what you've always done. It, it's what your family's always done, going back generations. And so you feel required to show up on Sunday to keep up appearances. It may be that you like the social aspect of the church. You like visiting with the friends that you have here. It may be that coming to church allows you to feel good about yourself after you messed up this past week. But brothers and sisters, we gather together week in and week out to worship the bread of life. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came to take away the sin of the world. We come to Christ for the sake of Christ, not for the sake of what we can get out of Christ. Right? We don't worship Christ for the benefits he gives us, which are many indeed, to be sure. But rather we worship Christ because he is worthy of our worship. He alone is sufficient. He is all that we need. And therefore, we come to him and we worship him. And yet, apart from the grace of God, we are in the exact same place as this crowd was, they, who had gathered around Jesus hoping for more bread. On our own, we will never come to the bread of life because our fallen hearts yearn to be satisfied with physical bread while we ignore the spiritual, the true bread of life. It takes a miraculous work of God to come to Christ. That's what we read in verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will not, never cast out. It doesn't say that all who are smart enough will come to Christ, or all who try hard enough will come to Christ. No, all that the Father gives to Jesus will come to Jesus. Salvation through and through is a work of God. Now, this year marked the 400th anniversary of the Canons of Dort, a document written in response to the remonstrance that highlights the, the doctrines of grace that are summarized by the acronym TULIP. Right? And that U of TULIP stands for unconditional election, meaning that God chose to save those whom he chose to save on the basis of his own good pleasure, not based on anything that they did. In other words, we are not saved because of who we are or what we have done, but only because God decided to save us. This is what verse 37 is getting at. Who will come to Christ? Those whom the Father gives to him. Those whom the Father has chosen. What we see here in John 6.37 is echoed in Romans 
And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Right? Salvation is a work of God alone. It's not based on anything we do. And therefore, when God gives us to Christ, we will come to Christ. And therefore, we will never be hungry. We will never be thirsty. And therefore, by using this metaphor of bread, by calling himself the bread of life, Jesus is declaring his sufficiency. We need nothing else. We don't need any works of our own. We don't need anything but Jesus. He alone is sufficient. But Jesus tells us more about himself by using this metaphor. By proclaiming himself to be the bread of life, Jesus also declares his source. That's our second point, and it's what we read in verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Here Jesus reveals his origins, right? His source. He came from heaven. And this was shocking to his audience because they thought they knew where this guy was from, right? Verse 42, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? This was a man who grew up in the same area as they did. And so they thought they had a handle on where he was from. We do the same thing in our communities, Right? My grandma can tell you the ancestry several generations back of pretty much everyone in the Falmouth area. I'm sure some of you can do the same thing with the South Holland area. I'm sure they could do the same thing in Capernaum or Nazareth. Yeah, that's Jesus. You know, the carpenter's son. Yeah, Joseph, that guy who fixed my table a couple years back. And yet here, Jesus takes what they thought they knew and he turns it on its head. For I have come down from heaven. His origin is not that humble abode that they thought. Instead, Jesus came from the glory and splendor of heaven itself. And with this assertion, Jesus is once again lifting their eyes away from that physical reality that they saw in front of them to the spiritual reality to which they were blind. He does not come from a place of earthly residence, but the place of God's residence. Once again, this assertion builds on what they thought they knew. The manna that was given to their fathers, where did it come from? It came from heaven. Right? Verse 31 says, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Manna was bread from heaven, but now Jesus has come down from heaven as the bread of life himself. The true reality to which that manna pointed. Right? God had once provided bread for his people long ago in the desert. But now God himself has come down from heaven to be the very bread that will sufficiently feed his people. Now this is not the only place where Jesus indicates that he is God. Actually, we've already passed by one of the primary locations. It's subtle to our 21st century American ears, but it would have sounded like a, to- a tornado warning to first century Jewish ears. And that's when Jesus says the words, I am. Now we can overlook that because it's just a normal subject and verb of a sentence. But in actuality, it harkens back to the very name of God himself that he gave to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus 3. When God calls Moses from the burning bush and commands him to go to Egypt, Moses asks what the name of God is so he can relay it to the Israelites. And do you remember what God said? I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. 
The name of God that was revealed to Moses to be relayed to the Israelites was I am. And here Jesus is using those very words. I am the bread of life. And that's true of all the I ams. Right? He says it again and again in the Gospel of John. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine, which we read earlier this evening. In all of these statements, Jesus is highlighting his divinity, saying again and again that he is God. Now, this is not a picture of Jesus that we see in the world today, perhaps even in some churches today. Many prefer a Jesus of their own creation, a Jesus who isn't God, but who's their buddy, right? You know, my Jesus would, my Jesus would never do this. He'd never say that. I recently read The Jungle by Upton Sinclair about the meatpacking practices in Chicago in the early 1900s. And in it, he said that Jesus was the first socialist. It's a Jesus of his own creation. And that's not unique. Because it's one thing to think of Jesus as a brilliant teacher or a great example. But it's quite another to declare that Jesus is God. If Jesus is God and not merely some great human being, then what he did and what he said takes on an an entirely different weight. If Jesus is God, that has immense implications for our lives, and so we must come to terms with the reality that is portrayed to us in the pages of Scripture. By declaring himself to be the bread of life, Jesus shows us that his source is heaven, that he is God in the flesh, And this greatly offended his original audience. And it offends many in our world today, too. But we can't ignore it. Now, finally, our third point is that the bread of life is surety for all those who come to him. Those who have come to Jesus, who is sufficient, whose source is heaven, those who have come to him, they don't need to fear if they will be cast aside or if they will get lost in the shuffle. Rather, believers can have confidence that they are secure in Christ, and that they can have hope for eternal life. We see this certainty first in the latter half of verse 37, which says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And this statement logically follows from what's come before, right? I mean, if the Father has given believers to Jesus on the basis of his own good pleasure and not based on anything they did, then there's nothing they can do to jeopardize that situation, Once we have been saved, we are always saved. If the Father has given us to Christ, then we will never be kicked out. And notice how there's no ambiguity in this statement. It's not whoever comes to me, I'll try not to cast out. It's not whoever comes to me, better not mess up or I'll cast them out. No, thanks be to God that Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Never those who come to Jesus, he will never cast them out. What a comfort that is to those of us who struggle with sin. In other words, what a comfort that is to us all. Right? If our standing before God was based on our continual performance, none of us would be able to stand. Gossip, lust, anger, pride, and a host of other sins still make their presence known in our lives. However, here we have the assurance that those who come to Christ will never be cast out. 
Brothers, sisters, if today you are struggling with your sin, if you're wondering if God will still love you in spite of what you did last night, last week, last decade, take heart in the fact that if you are repenting of your sin, if you are turning to the bread of life and you are coming to Christ, then you will never be cast out. Jesus expands on the surety in verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me. We don't have to be worried. We don't have to worry about being lost by Jesus. And let's think about losing for a moment. Right? Why do we lose things? What are some of the reasons we might lose things? Perhaps it's because we don't really care about it anymore. Right? My daughter Hazel had a favorite toy for a few months, a little toy telephone. And then we we didn't see it anymore. And we wondered where it was, but it was gone. And so a couple months later, we found it in the back of a toy box. Other toys had caught her eye. She lost interest in it, and so she lost it. She didn't care about it. Or we might lose something because it doesn't really have much value to us. Right? If you're traveling in another country, you typically hang on pretty tight to your passport because it's the one thing that will allow you to come home apart from a lot of hassle. Your passport has a lot of value to you in that situation. So you make sure that it doesn't get lost. Now, if the Father has given us the Christ and we have come to him, then do we need to worry about being like a little toy telephone lost in the back of a toy box? Do we need to worry that Christ doesn't really care about us anymore? Or that we aren't valuable to him? People of God, we do not need to worry about being lost by Jesus. Christ has come down from heaven to do the will of the Father, which is that he should lose none of all that has been given to him. From the most visible member of the congregation to the least, down to the most insignificant Christian in the eyes of the world, Christ will never lose anyone who is his. And this shows us that we have immense value in the eyes of Christ. And it shows us his great love. In our lives, we can often feel neglected, or forgotten, can't we? Kids, you can feel pretty small when everyone at school pays attention to those who are more popular or smart or athletic. Adults, you can feel overlooked at work if you lose out on yet another promotion. Or moms who stay at home with your kids, you can feel overlooked, you can feel as if the entire world is passing you by. Or those of you who are later on in life, as you see more and more of your friends being called home to glory, And when your family doesn't visit as much, you can feel neglected too. It's a common feeling to have whatever your life circumstances. But in those moments of doubt, congregation, we must remember that we have been given by the Father to Jesus and he will never let us go. The song, He Will Hold Me Fast, beautifully tells of this wonderful truth and it says this, Those he saves are his delight. He will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost, he will hold me fast. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. Child of God, if Christ loved you so much as to die on the cross for your sins, why would he then forget about you and lose you? He wouldn't. Right? He, he loves you enough to die for you and to keep you, yes, even to the last day, to eternity. This surety is found in verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that some 
No, that most. No, that, that all. That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Every single one who looks on the Son. This is our hope for the future. That all who have come to Christ will be raised on the last day to eternal life with Christ. What a blessed hope we have in our Savior. (coughs) To return to Tulip once more, this truth would be the P, the perseverance or preservation of the saints. Those who have come to Christ will always belong to Christ, even to eternity. And we also saw this when we looked at Romans 8.30. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. The chain doesn't break apart. In the same vein as Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is our hope as followers of Jesus, the bread of life. He is our surety, our guarantee, our assurance. Whoever comes to him will never be lost or cast away, but will live with him forever. And so as we finish here this evening, let's go back to our original question. Who is Jesus? Truly, he is the bread of life. And because he is the bread of life, we recognize that he is sufficient. Right? He alone has all that we need to satisfy our spiritual hunger. We don't need to look anywhere else. We just need to look to him. And also his source is heaven. He is God incarnate and therefore he is worthy of all of our obedience and all of our adoration. And finally, he is our surety. When we come to him in faith, we can be assured that he will never cast us away. He will never lose us and he will raise us up on the last day and give us eternal life. We can have that assurance as we see from our text. And we can see it as we come to the table too this evening to partake of the Lord's Supper. Question and answer 79 of the Heidelberg Catechism tells us that by the visible sign and pledge of the Lord's Supper, we can be assured that by the Holy Spirit's work, we share in Christ's true body and blood as surely as our mouths receive these holy signs in his remembrance. In other words, as surely as we taste that bread and wine that will be passed around, as surely as we taste that, so surely do we share in Christ the bread of life. And so, as we come to the table this evening, let's rest in him. Let's trust in him. Let's come to him again. For Jesus is the bread of life. Whoever comes to him shall not hunger, and whoever believes in him shall never thirst. Amen. Lord, we thank you for giving us the bread of life. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you that you have given us to him. Lord, we pray that through your spirits, you might let us know Christ more deeply tonight. For he is the one that we wish to see. He is all that we need both now and forever. And we know and we trust that he will never let us go. Lord, thank you for this assurance that we can have. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.